you almost got me. Almost. I thought you were going to do it. (laughs) Hello, hello, everybody. I'm Pedro, and welcome to Gritty Reboot. Hi, and I'm Meredith, and uh, we're happy to be here. We're going to talk about something interesting. We're going to talk about the Munsters. So, guys, I have to let you know, I had a vision, a fantasy, if you will, that I would come home on Saturday night, and I'd put that popcorn in the microwave. We'd heat it up. Those beautiful pops. I'd cut that bag open and spill its innards into a bowl, and we would share it. And we would watch Rob Zombie's The Munsters. And you would laugh and enjoy it. And I'd look at you right in your smug face and tell you, see, he is a fantastic filmmaker. No. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not what occurred this last Saturday night. Nope. What occurred this last Saturday night was close to an abomination. But there will be a hold on the Rob Zombie talk, because we need to go through the show the way we normally do it, mm-hmm. which is to talk about the original project, which would be the old TV show, The Munster. So we're going to uh, put a little break on Rob Zombie for just a little bit and not bring him up until after we talk about the original show. Yeah. So, yeah. What do you have to say about The Munster's old sitcom? Okay, so the Monsters TV show um, was made by Universal and put out by release by NBC. It starred Fred Wine as Herman Munster, Yvonne DiCarlo as Lily Munster, Butch Patrick as Eddie Munster, and Al Lewis as Grandpa. And then there was uh, Beverly Owen, who did uh, Marilyn Munster for like 10 episodes, or 10 or 13, I can't remember. And then um, Pat Priest came in and did Marilyn's character for the rest of the series. Okay. That's good to know. Um, it was created by Alan Burns and Chris Hayward. Theme music was by Jack Marshall. And there's 70 episodes total. Okay. So I guess always my, my main question, the one thing I had for you when I know you were doing your research is, obviously the one thing to compare the show to is The Addams Family. Which one of those shows came first? The Addams Family technically came first, um, but The Munsters followed pretty closely after. Um, once NBC heard that ABC was putting on a, a show about a family of monsters, they kind of jumped on that. And okay. since they owned the rights to the old classic monsters like uh, Frankenstein mm-hmm. and Universal. Wolfman and... Yeah. Since they own that, um, it was easier for them to kind of spin that off into the Monsters TV show. Yeah, that's why Herman has the bolts in his neck. That, yeah. That's what's actually copyrighted. The The Frankenstein character actually is completely within the public domain. But if you put bolts on his neck, that's property of Universal. Yeah. So we take research here pretty seriously. When we do movies or whatever, we always watch the, the original film in its entirety you know, no phones or whatever, usually dedicate our attention to just whatever it is we're watching. This week we did a TV show, so that was a little bit different. Now, luckily for us, we were both pretty familiar with the Munsters. Yeah. Um, this was a, a pretty big staple in reruns all throughout American television, either just local TV or Nick at Night. You know, you could always find Neil you know, Munsters reruns all over the place. Yeah, that's how I saw it was Nick at Night. Yeah, so I was pretty familiar with, with the property. Um, so we we did what we usually do. We did some research on what were the best episodes, and we took a look at some of those. I happen to have an old DVD lying around, but I put the disc in, and we start watching the show, and our daughter was present this time, because we you know, we didn't say, hey, don't come in here, because it's not like we're watching yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street. We're like, that's not really appropriate for a five-year-old to watch. This was, and I think the thing that, that impressed me is that 
this show completely grabbed our daughter's attention. Five years old. Five years old, and she was able to take the show from the '60s and laugh and Black laugh and, white. and laugh. Yeah, it was it was a uh, something really to behold because it is from the 60s and it is black and white and mm-hmm. it is old school and it's one single camera operated yeah and it's all those classic things that you would see in an old old show and she was able to be totally and utterly engaged with it yeah and that's the lesson of going back to, to watch the original show is that there are so many great little moments in it yes is the comedy dated absolutely are the jokes cheesy yeah but that doesn't really matter because they're all pretty well done yeah. For, for what they are. I think everybody in this cast is more than, I'd say, game for the role. Everybody takes it really seriously, and it really looks like everyone's having a ton of fun. Yeah. Um, Fred Gwynn and uh, Al Lewis actually worked together previously. They worked together on a great, uh, or I guess, a show that didn't last very long. It only ran for two years called Car 54, Where Are You? Oh, yeah. Car 54, Where Are You? Yeah. So another movie we'll cover with another terrible reboot. They have great chemistry in the show yeah. because of that, because they worked well together beforehand. And you could it's evident in their performances. It, yeah, it shows. Yeah, pretty much any episode, any episode you might watch, you can just tell that chemistry is right there. Yeah. They play off each other brilliantly. They work off each other for jokes. Like I said, even if you can see the punchlines coming a mile away, it's still, even in myself, a, a truly jaded viewer who has no soul. I can still watch these segments and still get a smirk out of them, maybe even a giggle. Um, that chemistry is just there. And comedic timing, it doesn't matter what the jokes are or when they are. When it's there, it can always work. Yeah. And that's one thing about the old monster old Munster show that's really interesting is that comedic timing, you know, is there from old episodes, whether it's you know, Herman building the Dragula, which obviously is another reference to future filmmaker Dragula. Rob, yeah, future filmmaker Rob Zombie's music career. Or, you know, Herman getting a job at the bank, or, you know, we had a lot of fun watching the episode where Herman went undercover, uh, was protecting a woman, and Lily thought he was having an affair. Old, classic sitcom stuff, but, you know, I smiled. I enjoyed the show. I, I you know, did I did I give a, bull, a full belly laugh about it? No, but I had a grin on my face and really loved it. And, you know, my daughter had the belly laughs. So I, I think the wholesomeness of this show really shines through, and the comedic value of it does, even today. The uh, show was produced by creators of Leave it to Beaver. Okay, it certainly so does have a... it has a, that feel to it. Yeah, it does. It does have that all-American sitcom kind of vibe to it, with the exception of the fact that everybody in the cast is a, is a monster. Yeah. Except for Marilyn. Now, you'd be happy to know that the Munsters topped the Addams Family in ratings at some point. Oh, really? Yeah, they think completely overtaken by... Uh, the monster show. See, that's really interesting because I think today you would look at it in the very much the opposite, opposite. way. Yeah, the the monsters of the bitch franchise to the Adams family. Well, the Adams family had movies. Well, yeah, the Adams family had two excellent movies in the in the nineties, and I mean they got uh, a pair of cartoon reboots a couple years ago. Don't worry, guys. One do one day we'll do Adams family, but the monsters came up this time, so that's what we're doing first. The monsters did have a few TV show reboots, which we didn't cover. I was a bit familiar with a few of them. Uh, two color reboots, I think one in the 80s and one in the early 90s. They didn't last very long, weren't anywhere near as successful. But I did see them a bit as a kid because they would kind of lump those in in the rerun chains, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the 90s. Not so much at Nick at Night. Nick at Night could respect what was like one TV show. You watch this and that's all it is. Yeah. But with, you know, when you were watching the Munsters on regular cable, you might get an episode of the new Munsters in color. Um, and, and pretty much everybody on that show kind of tries to ape the performances of the original, uh, which is something to keep in mind as we talk about further reboots. 
But, you know, this show was still something that I could definitely recommend anybody watching. I think if you're a fan of older sitcoms, you've never gotten around to watching The Munsters. I mean, it's something you really should do. You'll enjoy yourself. Uh, you'll enjoy it immensely. And I think if you're an old school horror fan, you'll definitely appreciate it. And I think if you're a Rob Zombie fan, you'll know some some of the references within his music. Like if you're coming in from, let's just say you're a big time Rob Zombie fan. You've seen 31, um, Lords of Salem his Halloween reboot, as well as the devil's rejects. And you're looking at this property for the first time, please, by all means, you know, go to Peacock or or wherever you can find the episodes and wherever you might live at. And please, by all means, check them out, watch a few. You're, you're going to enjoy yourself. You're going to have a good time. And I think if you're considering yourself a horror fan, this is going to be some standard viewing for you. Even if you're 18 years old and don't care about any sort of property from the sixties, you know, you're going to have a smile on your face when you watch these. There's, an inherent charm to them that is irresistible even today. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, re- I really can't recommend this show kind of highly enough as something to even if you're just going to put it on the background while you clean to some comfort food TV, it can certainly work for that. You know, I can see why people absolutely love this show even after all these years. So, Yvonne DiCarlo, she was kind of like a last minute replacement. They had an idea for. They had somebody casted, they did the pilot, and they just weren't enamored with her. So Yeah, they, I, I, I cruised around YouTube today, and I found a couple of clips from that original pilot show. Yeah. Things were a bit darker, and she was very much more Morticia yeah. than she is Lily. Very much more Morticia. Well, Fred Gwine and uh, Al, Al Lewis, when they hired Yvonne DiCarlo, uh, were uh, more than nervous about it. They didn't think that somebody who had such a... Because she had a big career. Mm-hmm. She was nominated for uh, Oscars, you know, for some of her portrayals. Yeah. So she was a seasoned actress. So they weren't sure if she was going to fit into the show. She was also a little bit standoffish when they first started filming. Um, She kept to herself and stayed in her trailer. Okay. Uh, She often held up production by last minute changes to her hair. She was constantly obsessed with her hair and how it looked. It does show. Honestly, if you watch that, her hair is always magnificent. Yeah. In almost every scene she's in, it really is. It's a a true thing of horror beauty, that hair. And she went through five hairdressers. I, I don't doubt that at all, to be perfectly honest. I mean... It does. It looks really good. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, she she just was very detail-oriented. But, you know, with that caliber of actress, you kind of expect a little bit of diva quality to them. Yeah, certainly so. Um, she's it, beautiful. Yeah, she really is. Yeah, certainly beautiful. And you are right. Uh, most any actor or actress sort of worth their salt going to be a little bit of a diva. That ego comes into play, and that's just how it goes. Yeah, because she's she's slumming it in TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she made sure everybody else would know that. But, you know, from every re- reports from the rest of the cast is that everybody else really got along. Uh, Fred Gwynn, uh, classic Hollywood nice guy. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you, you you know, he's been in a bunch of other stuff. You would know him from... Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery is where most... Uh, yeah. Sometimes dead is better. <laughs> he has that fantastic main accent in that movie. I, really, I could almost just watch Jed talk in that whole movie, yeah. <laughs> just just to chewing up scenery in that main accent. Uh, also, um, uh, a favorite film of almost any lawyer you know, uh, My Cousin Vinny, uh, where he... That's right. He's the judge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he has some some fantastic comedic chops, if we're going to be perfectly honest here. You know, that movie, I mean, still, that movie holds up today as well. Uh, he's great in that and gives a great foil to go against um, Joe Pesci in that yeah. movie. Really, it's just fantastic work. 
like I said, you know, you can see that the level of comedic actor that was in the Munsters and, and really able to carry all those jokes back then gave him a very long career. You can see that 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 ability to have comedic timing didn't matter how tall he was. All that really matters. That's why he had a great career. I think Fred Gwynn deserves a medal, too, for what he had to put up with it, with his wardrobe. Yeah, yeah. He, he was going to certainly get the, the worst of that with having actual makeup. He was miserable. He had uh, his feet were pavers boots with four inch soles. His thighs, arms and torsos were covered in 40 pounds of foam. And he sat through two hours of makeup each yeah. day. He lost 10 pounds in one month. I wouldn't doubt it because we watched the episode where he became human again. And I was kind of surprised that they clearly obviously used the same costume he always wears and how much smaller it was just on regular Fred Gwynn. When, you know, he's a pretty big dude. Yeah. So obviously they were puffing him up quite a bit. So you could see how much he, he really had on him. I'm sure that was an episode he loved where he didn't have to put that stupid makeup on every week, every day to shoot the show. 40 pounds of foam. Foam. It's yeah. so light. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. There were no safety standards on actors or anything back then. <sighs> yeah, they were just like, well, you know, if he dies, he dies. They had the old Yvonne Drago logic on what they would do to some of the actors back then. So you can imagine how miserable that was shooting out in Hollywood on the back lot of Universal back in the day. They were actually going to cast John Carradine. Um, oh, really? I believe he's... Well, who he's um David Carradine's dad. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. So he was going to be in the running for Herman Monster Monster, but he just didn't take it. So we're we're glad that Fred Gwynn took it. Yeah, they really everybody came together and made for a fantastic and iconic show. One of the other things I wanted to mention was the 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 famous car in the show. It was built by George Barris. He took three Model T Ford bodies to construct an 18-foot-long monster mobile. It had brass radiators and fenders that were hand-formed. And then the, it had velvet upholstery that was blood red. Blood red. It took them 21 days to complete and $18,000 later. Interesting. No, I, I I never really thought about it, but it is it, it is quite a uh, monstrosity of a vehicle. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. So that makes a lot of sense. It took them that much effort to get it done or to get it in there. Yeah, I thought it was pretty interesting, all the stuff that they had to go through just to make the car pretty pretty neat. It very much is. So you have a smile on your face. Now we're talking about the Munsters. With that being said, you know I have to do the hard pivot to start talking about Rob Zombie's film. Okay. Let me ask you, for, before we get there, and before this movie started, what did you think of Rob Zombie as a, fil- as a filmmaker? As a filmmaker, I think he's dog shit. You don't want to sugarcoat that at all? Just no, straight up? I think he's absolute dog shit. Yeah. I think that... His sh- his movies are basically like a gl- a long music video, mm. a very long kind of boring music video. Okay, okay, that's fair. That's fair. All right, you, like I said, uh, and this is why I told the story in the beginning. Um, you have almost always hated the work of Rob Zombie. Yeah, and pretty much from the Devil's Rejects, I, I've I've been a fan. Yeah. Uh, of his work. And, you know, I grew up as a fan of his music as well. It was all over the 90s. You couldn't really escape Rob Zombie tunes. And uh, like I said, I, I did enjoy his his musical work. And, you know, for the most part, I, I've enjoyed his films. Uh, a few of them I, I haven't really dug, like Halloween and things like that. But, okay, you're not going to have any good. So let me start off with a few of the good things that I, I did like about the movie, you know, right off the bat. Uh, the first thing is that this thing even got made. Yeah. I mean, that that's what I appreciate is that you can tell from the movie and from some of the costumes and the sets that they had that Rob Zombie absolutely and truly loves the monsters. 
Like there is a huge fanboy within him for this show. You can just tell that. And the fact that a man who is known for gritty, nasty horror movies was able to get a major studio to give him money to make a family comedy in 2022 for that property is just insane and kind of bonkers to me. Yeah. And I love that idea. Like, I miss the old idea of what Hollywood was almost in the 90s, where just a weird film would get greenlit for no reason at all. And you'd have this weird bit of cinema. Was it always going to work? No. A lot of times it just leads to strange, forgettable movies. But sometimes you really could end up with some real gems, like something like, like was it Deadhead Fred? Or um, Drop Dead Fred. Drop Dead Fred. Thank you. I think Fred that's a different thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Drop Dead Fred. Like, that's a super weird movie about imaginary friends. But, you know, that has struck a, like, a nice um, cult movie chord for a long time. Yeah, you I know, love that movie. Yeah, and that's, that's straight out of the Hollywood system. You know, and that's just not something I think you would see today. And sort of the same thing with the Munsters, being able to get uh, greenlit and being able to be made into the Hollywood system. Now, that being said, there is one thing I do want to mention. And before I get really into the nasty of the monsters, I do want to talk about one other positive, And that is uh, Daniel Roebuck. Daniel Roebuck plays the Count or Grandpa. Mm-hmm. Now, we can't call him Grandpa in the movie because the monsters it's, it's an origin story. A Why did he decide to do that? I guess he didn't want to mess with kids. He didn't want to have any kids in the movie. <sighs> I'm assuming that's the only no reason. makes no sense. So... But I do want to say Daniel Roebuck is utterly fantastic as Grandpa Munster. Yeah, he's good. He does a really nice job. And, and in all honesty, I don't mean to be really nasty about it, but he's the only real professional actor that's in the main cast. Yeah. And it shows because he actually does a good job. Uh, he obviously does love the Grandpa Munster character because his impression, it's not an impression as much as his interpretation of the character. There's just enough there to keep it familiar and enough of his additions to make it really worth watching his performance. Um, uh, Daniel Roebuck's had a long career. He's worked with Rob Zombie in the past, but he's in one of my favorite TV movies ever, The Late Shift, and that's the story of David Letterman versus Jay Leno for The Tonight Show. I didn't even recognize him yeah, he with play- all that makeup Yeah, he, he played Jay Leno in that. Um, great performance by Kathy Bates in that movie, by the way. Uh, but that's where I got to know him. He's been in a lot of stuff over the years. Anyway, as I was talking about, so what's the logo at the front of this movie? I don't know. <laughs> I guess that was supposed to be some kind of throwback of some sort. So it's the old Universal logo is how this movie starts out. You know, we get the, you know, that old, old easy intro from the from the 40s and the 50s. But this is not a true Universal film, in all honesty. This is actually done by Universal 1440 Entertainment. So I'm, I'm going to list a few of the classic movies that this place has done. Uh, Hard Target 2, The Scorpion King 4, uh, Dragonheart 3, Jesus, Scorpion King 5, Jarhead 2 and 3, more Dragonheart sequels. I had no idea there was more Jarheads. Bulletproof 2, Kindergarten Cop 2, Big Fat Liar 2, Honey 3 and 2, I know I went backwards there, but as you might guess, there's always, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot about the classic Backdraft 2. Backdraft 2. Yeah, that's all right. There's a sequel to Backdraft. So Universal 1440 has basically been going through the bottom of the bin of Universal's properties and digging up movies and giving them cheap direct-to-video sequels that are made in Europe for tax benefits. Wow. So immediately as I said that to you, I can probably see some lights going off that you can understand why the movie looks like it does. 
as cheap as it is. It looks so cheap. Yeah, and that, that's what this movie is. So basically, this is a low-end cash grab to uh, try to make a uh, little money out of the monsters. Now, what's really strange about a 1440 film is that they went with an established director, and that's never something that they do. They have a couple of guys they work with over and over again to churn out these terrible, terrible sequels. But they won't rob zombie this time. And, well, how do I put it? This movie is far worse than I thought it could have been. Even, even when I saw the original trailer, I didn't think it would end up as bad as this is. Me too, actually. I I was hoping that with a family-like flair to it, that he would do a, something more interesting. Yeah. But he did not. No, no. He, he really didn't at all. He really didn't at all. I, I guess the, the one thing I have to ask you is, Rob Zombie is infamous for working with his people over and over again. You know, he doesn't usually work with a lot of professional actors, so sometimes that can be a huge detriment to him. But uh, in this film, obviously, he casts his wife again. Of course. Um, so with him casting his wife. To and his not, detriment. Yeah, and not, not just his wife as well. He also cast uh, another friend of his, uh, Jeff Daniel Phillips as Herman Munster. I guess I have to ask, which one of these non-actors do you think is the worst part of this cast? Um, Sherry Moon Zombie. Sherry Moon? Yeah, hands down. I, now... She's got a weirdly way of talking to the movie. Well, I think the strangest thing about her performance so is, if you go back and watch the sitcom, that's not how Lily acts. No. Yeah, that's that's sort of the strangest thing. They're like, oh, it's a throwback to the original performance. It's like, well, no. Yvonne DiCarlo did not act that way at all. Why did she do those weird things with her hands? You know, you can't see as an audience what I'm doing. But but when you watch the movie, she does do a lot of strange things with her hands and her fingers. The thing about it is, he had to have known that his wife is not a talented comedic actress. She's he's, she's never done a comedy. She's only worked with him. Yeah. So to cast her in this part where she has to be basically the lead of a, of a comedy, you have two non-actors basically as the lead of this comedy. I understand that Jeff has has done a few more things uh with other talents but you know he's still not really known as a big time actor. Um you know have these guys sort of carrying this movie I think is a huge disaster because they don't have any chemistry and no. they don't have any comedic timing at all. They they fall in love cuz the story dictates. Yeah. Literally like she just he just appears on the screen and there is a uh, the bit of story you get that's not evident. Yeah, yeah. So she just sees him on t- on screen for the first time, and these heart, um, it's like creep show. You know, when something bad would happen, they'd put like a stylized background behind a character to sort of indicate that comic book, like, oh, I'm so terrified, or like, I'm in love. They'd put hearts back there. That happens throughout the movie when there's, uh, or I guess early on in the movie, when a character has to have a big moment, you know, like when they bring Herman back, they have lightning behind all the characters. They scream, it's alive. Same thing with Cherry Moon Zombie or Lily's character when she sees him. There's hearts behind her. This is Rob Zombie's style that he is adding to the movie, um, along with his, um, along with the garish colors, which I actually do think kind of work because it does make the movie a bit more like a, a living cartoon. Yeah, that's actually one of the things I was going to ask you is what's with the green light? It's like green light surrounding everybody, and mainly Grandpa. I noticed that it was harshest on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's, at some point, I was kind of curious at how they actually put the makeup on him, since they knew they were going to hit him with a green or purple light. So that, you know, how that was actually going to look on screen. Because I know originally Rob Zombie wanted to shoot color. I mean, wanted to shoot black and white. He did not want to shoot color. 
but there was no way that Universal was going to let him do that because that just immediately limits your your opportunity and your audience. So he had to shoot color. So he went the complete opposite way and shot with the color saturation all the way to 100 with all the crazy colors flying everywhere. It looks like, you know, bus station Suspiria at times. Yeah. Um, I'm not as familiar with Rob Zombie's films as you are. And yeah. that was what I was going to ask you. Is this something that he does in his films normally with no, the weird lighting? So, sometimes, yeah. There can be some stylized and lit sequences like that. I can think of um, The House of a Thousand Corpses does it a lot. But he's straight coming from music videos at that time. So that's a little bit less of a narrative as much as it is like a collection of horror sequences. Yeah, that's why I hate that movie. Um, in the, the Devil's Rejects, a much grittier film. There's a bit of it in there. Uh, Halloween doesn't really have it. Halloween two does, uh, especially for a lot of the sequences with Sherry Moon Zombie, where she's actually pretty decent in that movie. I know you find that hard to believe, but she actually is pretty good as uh, Michael Myers' uh, ghost mother in that movie. And those sequences do have some stylized lighting. Um, as he got a little bit later in his career, Lords of Salem, he found lower budgets. You could find a little bit more of that stylized lighting creeping in, but never quite like this. Pretty much the entire Transylvania sequence is bathed in this kind of light, unless yeah, they're outdoors. It's awful. Yeah, unless they're outdoors going. in the sun. Yeah, and that's another weird thing. It's like the first half of the movie is all these weird lights, and then the second half is like natural lighting and weird stuff. Yeah. I, I don't understand why he would have done that. I, I don't... Well, I mean, I think he's trying to... Well, because, yeah, it even happens before they head to 1313 Mockingbird Lane. It even You can see it kind of dip off Yeah, at a certain point. Now, I'm not really certain why he did that. It doesn't really add towards anything, to be perfectly honest, that he takes it away. It's not like a, you know, like someone's learning a lesson, so you're getting less crazy colors, or they're becoming more normal, or falling in love. There's no real theme to connect to why he would do it. It's just another thing in the movie that happens. And I guess that's kind of my, I mean, that's my biggest complaint about the film. Yes, the acting from some of Zombie's troop can be pretty bad. And I think the production quality isn't where it really should be at. But this story, the script, is barely that. I mean, you're talking about really a collection of sequences, horror vignettes, that I mean, uh, like horror comedy vignettes that sort of occur. And the movie just kind of clangs around from one scene to the other, and that's our story pretty much, right? Yeah. Because Herman is brought back. You know, Lily needs to look for love. And it just so happens our story kind of collides and people just kind of happen to find each other in Transylvania. It feels like the movie is a collection of mini stories. It's yeah. like he tried to do a TV show in a movie. Yeah, that, that is certainly what it feels like. You know, when, when we were trying to bone up on more research here um, before we realized that the monsters were on Peacock, we went to YouTube and typed in the monsters and we found a playlist, some of the clips. And so I said, well, I'll watch some of these while I'm waiting. And that's totally what the movie felt like. Just a collection of random clips from this world that we're barely privy to. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I like the idea of Transylvania, like this weird monster world. Like, that's so much fun. Especially like the the big 50s robot and like the pharaoh mummy. Like, all that kind of stuff in the background is kind of neat. But... I like, no the, I like the stuff with Nosferatu. Oh, um, Orlok? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's okay. His disco vampire... Might, might have been one of the few moments early on where I smiled slightly. I did enjoy yeah, that. Yeah, it might have been one of the only... I'll give give it that. Yeah, but but even then, it doesn't lead to a joke. She's just like, no. I'm going to go. And he's like, okay. And that's it. There's no joke. There's no gag. It doesn't lead to anything. Like, at no point is uh, Vampire Disco on the charts or anything. Like, there's not a running gag in this movie. Rob Zombie doesn't know how to write a comedy. And nobody told him, like, hey, man, none of this shit's funny. 
I mean, that's the, the biggest problem. The story doesn't make any sense. It doesn't have... Nobody learns a lesson throughout the movie. No. I mean, the bare minimum of what a screenplay has to do. Grandpa and Herman don't like each other. He doesn't trust Herman. And Herman eventually loses the house. Herman never redeems himself. Grandpa never learns to trust him for any reason. The movie doesn't address these issues at all. They just get a huge deus ex machina at the end of the brother winning the lottery, or not winning the lottery, but coming up with a huge bet, and now they're rich, which might be one of the worst endings to a movie I can think of, because it's a true non-ending. They didn't deserve it. Nothing said they needed to get that money. They didn't go through anything. We didn't see the brother even go to the Vegas tables to try to win, which could have been a fun sequence. None of that occurs. It just happens because the movie has to come to a fucking end. Yeah. That's the only reason it's there. Also, the movie doesn't feel particularly smart or well at all. No, no, no. It, it, it I mean, it, it's, it's not going to be a particularly smart movie. You know, it's, it is a, a children's film coming from, uh, coming from a lower budget studio. So that can be a problem. But you are right. It certainly doesn't feel like an intelligent film in any way, shape, or form. It feels very amateurish. Do you think that we'll ever get a movie where Sherry Moon Zombie doesn't star in it? Or do you think that he's willing to tank his directorial career for it? Well, I, I do want to talk about something I think is really beautiful, like how he loves his wife. Okay, well, yeah. Okay, no, no, no. Let, nice. let, let, let's, no, no, let's not discount that. The man absolutely loves his wife and his friends because he chooses to work with them and only them over and over and over again. So in that way, there is a real beauty into what the Rob Zombie cinematic world is like you're coming into this weird little family and you're watching the movies that they make that don't always make sense or aren't necessarily fine for the rest of society to see really. Yeah. But you love your wife too. And you wouldn't necessarily star me in your movies. No, absolutely not. Thank you. Yeah. You're, you're not. We're even, high school sweethearts for God's yeah, sake. Even though you might have more talent than, than Sherry Moon and listen, Sherry Moon's gotten better at things, but I mean, if you do anything long enough, you're going to get fairly decent at it. And the fact is this is as good as she can be has always been, troubling you know i had more problems with her performance in like lords of salem where she has to be kind of like a regular person she struggles with that even though i thought she was okay as michael myers uh stripper mom i thought she was fine there i really did i, I didn't have a problem with her performance and uh, trust me I'm, I'm the first person to let you know when she stinks she wasn't that bad there but that does get into another issue with rob zombie writing the movie is that almost every character kind of becomes an asshole because that's just rob zombie's classic way of writing you know no one talks about skull-fucking anybody like he does in a lot of other scripts. But this, you know, I, I think Herman's a jerk in this movie. Yeah, because, you know, Grandpa and Herman actually get together. They understand each other. They, mm. you know, uh, they get each other in the in the TV show. Yeah. In this movie, Grandpa doesn't like Herman at all. No. Why do you think Rob Zombie chose to pit them against each other. Well, I, I think you... For you, a story? It, it's actually one of the better elements of the movie is that they have some conflict because it's something different from the show. And it's a story. It's something you can latch onto because our other element of story, like the real estate scam, is barely anything. It's a couple of scenes just to justify why we have to go to 1313 Mockingbird Lane in the final act of the movie. But otherwise, I mean, the story doesn't really amount to anything, to be perfectly no. honest. Other than giving them one repercussion that doesn't really seem to inconvenience the monsters all that much. Making Grandpa and Herman hate each other is an interesting idea because 
you can talk about how they eventually grew to become friends or how they grew to depend on each other or how he learned to trust Herman. But that was sort of my complaint earlier is the movie doesn't do that at all. It yeah. doesn't repair their relationship. It doesn't tell you why they eventually got along. Other than just I got used to Herman is literally the only thing that Grandpa could say. You know, because at one point they put him in charge of the family after he already lost the house in what is maybe the dumbest idea. Like he just signs a random piece of paper and somehow that's the deed over the house. Maybe the laws in Transylvania are fucked. What do I know? <laughs> but I mean, the point of it is like it's it's lazy for a script that's already really lazy. It's another lazy idea on the top of it, just so we can get the monsters out of Transylvania and to 1313 Mockingbird Lane, which I need to mention that only occurs with what? 21 minutes left in the movie? Mm -hmm. 21 minutes. Like I remember Rob Zombie on his Instagram went through this whole thing about we've created this perfect replica of the old house. We have the neighborhood set up, which is clearly not in America. That's clearly somewhere in Romania. Um, and very much looks as such. But, like, you have all this there, and you're only in this iconic location. Herman is only in his standard attire for, like, 15 or 20 minutes of this entire movie, which is so long. For a kid's movie, almost two hours, that's close to absurd, to be honest. Yeah. Especially since not a whole lot really happens in the movie. Oh, it's so boring. Yeah, like, I, I'm aware that there can be, like, a, there's a two-and-a-half-hour cut. But, man, like, this movie just kind of drags along. I couldn't imagine a longer cut of this thing. What do you think about the makeup? I, I, I think the makeup team did an okay job. I, see, I didn't think the makeup was very good either. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not. Because it seemed like Rob Zombie was trying to emulate the look of the TV show. Yeah. Which is fine if the TV show was shot in color. But it's yeah. shot in black and white. So you and I very well know that when you shoot in black and white, the color, things are different. Things, yeah. different. Yeah. Makeup's going to be different. Mm -hmm. And it's it just feels like he used the same kind of color palette. Yeah, yeah. Well, I like like Herman's green is like almost glowing off the screen. Yeah, you know, the blue that Grandpa, the blue he is almost reminds me of like um, one of the zombies from the original Dawn of the Dead. Like he's that that shade of yeah. blue, very very blue. Uh, Lily's just kind of whitish, right? She's just kind of white. Yeah. So I, I don't have any problem with the way Lily looks. To to be honest, Lily's I, I, fine. I, yeah, I think it's a good interpretation of how that character is. Even if it doesn't look a whole lot like Lily Munster did on that show, but that's fine. Herman has a lot of iconic attires from the show. You know, we get to see him in the Dragula suit when he's uh, performing at the rock concert, but we rarely get to see him in his actual norm normal, you know, Herman attire, mm -hmm. which, you know, it doesn't, doesn't help. You know, I think the makeup on him is fine if all particularly, it, it particularly unimpressive, you know, same thing with, with grandpa. And honestly, I think like, some of the other monster designs in Transylvania were, were pretty poor. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think Orlock is fine. Yeah, but, Orlock looked good. Yeah, but, you know, we, we've done the Nos Nosferatu character yeah. quite a bit, so it's not that big of a deal. But some of the other characters, I mean, they, they look like Halloween costumes. Later on, there's a sequence where they go and have a an impromptu neighborhood rave on Halloween, which happens a lot in America, I guess. I don't know. I'm in the wrong parts of America, I suppose. Like, in that sequence, those costumes on, like, the kids and on the people in the town, they look about the same as the costumes did in Transylvania. Yeah. It's barely any different except for the colored lighting. I mean, that's the only real indication that we have. I mean, you really, and I, people have said it before, but you really feel like this production team just raided a spirit Halloween store for almost every prop in this movie. They probably did. So, I mean, that's one thing to keep in mind, keep in mind about it. I mean, it just, it just doesn't look that impressive. I, you know, 
we talked about this production company, Universal 1440. I mean, you can see them pinching pennies and squeezing this budget because it just doesn't look very good. My last question, um, does the soundtrack suit the film? Because in my opinion, it didn't suit the film. It does because it's, it's a Rob Zombie film. So I think it's soundtrack really did, um, suit the film to okay. be perfectly honest. Cause you, like I said, you know more about Rob Zombie movies than I do. Well, I, I mean love. like some of his, this doesn't necessarily fit a family comedy to be honest. And I, I do want to stress, by the way, as a family comedy, you know, I put on the Munsters, as I mentioned earlier, the old TV show for my daughter, and she loved it. I put this movie on for her, and in about 15 minutes, she was clamoring for anything else to be put on. She, you didn't tell me that. Yeah, I know. I told you she loved it, because I wanted you to be afraid that she was going to throw it on one day and make you watch it. But she did not care for this version <laughs> of the characters at all. I even skipped around a little bit to when Herman had come, come to life already. And she never chuckled at anything Herman did or, or liked it. You know, she was playing with dolls by the 15-minute mark while she really watched almost two and a half hours of the original show. So, I mean, that's something to keep in mind, you know, for the quality of this film as something that's supposed to be for children. Well, I mean, which it is. It is a family movie. Like, I'll give Rob Zombie that. He did deliver a PG movie. Very much so. But, I mean, it's just not... I, I can't imagine a kid that would want to watch this movie and just be into it. You yeah. know, and, and, and decisions like how he chooses to portray things, like when they finally go to Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, first of all, like he just sees one random person that's on TV says, I'm the most handsome actor in LA. And they, he decides I'm going to go to Los Angeles and everyone's like, sure, whatever. No money is talked about or anything like that. They just had their financial lives ruined by losing the house, but it's not a big deal. They can just fly to LA and buy a new house. Yeah, right? no big deal. So, but it's not a big problem if you do that. But if you tell me the, the whole crux of this movie with the real estate scam is that it will make them bankrupt and there's no repercussions for it, then what the fuck have I been doing for an hour and 20 minutes, right? Wasting your time. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just one of those things. And, and as I was mentioning, going back to your original question, which was the soundtrack, is those little things along with the vignette of them driving around LA. LA, which is to make up for them not actually being able to go to LA because they didn't have the money. That stuff just makes this movie weirder than it has to be, and not in a fun way. Just weird, cheap, and strange. Mm -hmm. As as much as I like Rob Zombie, this movie sucks, and he should never do a comedy again. Yeah. If he loves the monsters, you could have fucking fooled me. In my opinion, he should not be allowed to make any more movies. I wouldn't go that far. I, I appreciate what he can do, but... I mean, if he loved the monsters, the monsters, man, he didn't do them justice at all. I'm, I'm disappointed in the effort that he put forth because this is worse than I thought it could be. Because I mean, in other movies, he's at least told a coherent story, and there's no reason this movie shouldn't have a story that makes sense or is at least simplified. It's overstuffed. There's way too much crap in this movie. The performances aren't good. The soundtrack is strange. It looks cheap. There's no reason to recommend watching this movie. Unless you're a Munster super fan or a Rob Zombie super fan. Rob, you let me down. I mean, that's straight. Yeah, no, not no, Rob. Robert Q. Zombie is no, <laughs> he's a man now. He's no longer Rob. This is the most disappointing I've been in a filmmaker in a while. I'm, I'm a big fan of his. And I mean, I've, I've seen Kevin Smith make some bombs and still been able to stand by him and be like, well, he can bounce back. I, and I'm sure Rob can eventually make like another, another one of his horror movies that I have grown less and less interested in as time has gone on. And I might enjoy that more than I've enjoyed the Munsters, but I can't stress like the the level of disappointment from this movie is just like immense. Like I would I would never want to show this to anybody when I talk about Rob Zombie's an underrated filmmaker. Like I feel like I can't make that claim as strongly now 
due to how bad this movie yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that is my opinion on Rob Zombie currently in 2022. Well, you know my opinion. It, it is what it is. And we saw the trailer, you know, and, and listen, the trailer makes all the sense in the world because clearly the studio saw this movie and they were like, yeah, we're not getting a theatrical release. And that was his goal. He wanted to make this cheaper movie and show what a great director he was and that he could deliver this property and they'd put it in theaters and he'd get a little theatrical run out of it and it'd be a great little boon for him. But they saw the movie and they're like, nah, this is awful. We're just going to video. We're just, we're going to dump it wherever. So he made that trailer by himself, which is why it's highly unprofessional. It has terrible sound. There's even a plosive pop, a plosive pop in the, in the voiceover. Because somebody just grabbed a microphone real quick and just gave the voiceover as fast as they could. They put out the trailer. Rob thought people were going to get behind him. And people just started laughing and mocking it. It's the worst trailer ever made. And is this the worst movie ever made? No. But it, it, it is probably one of the worst of the year. I, I have a hard time thinking I can find movies worse than this one released within this calendar year. Ditto, ditto, ditto. I mean, I feel like I could talk for another 30 minutes about the things that let me down in this movie. But I'll just be a broken record about it. Uh, don't watch this one. If you're a big Rob Zombie fan, you know, do it so you can complete the whole catalog of his films. But otherwise, move on to much stronger fare. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Are you ready for the reviews? Yeah, yeah. They can't be great, so let's hear it. Okay, so the TV show, 4.8 user review, 83% on Rotten Tomatoes, and 7.8 on IMDb. And I have a one-star review of the show, which was hard to believe. I thought I'd give it a try as an adult. Now that I've seen it again, I'm sorry to report that this show is really poorly written. I enjoy a lot of old shows, and more specifically old radio shows, so I'm not just someone comparing older shows to what's done recently. That being said, I found myself wondering, have these writers ever heard a joke before, much less written one? If it weren't for the insane amount of canned laughter, I might not ha have even realized that these things that were said were supposed to be jokes. The episode where the father goes to town to purchase a car for his daughter is particularly confounding. One has to wonder if a script was even written or if they are thinking. We'll just speed up the camera and have someone fall down a lot. I watched it gawking at the screen, trying to comprehend how the people that were involved in a delightful show, Leave it to Beaver, spawned this misguided comedy. So he didn't find the original show very funny, which I... I think it has a lot of charm. It may not be I, I do funny, too, but, but it's charming. Comedy ages the worst out of any of the other yeah. real formats of cinema. So you will find a lot of things that were perfectly acceptable in a brand of comedy, just completely archaic and almost like an eyesore to you. You know, the canned laughter, how you, you know, he talks about things getting sped up happens a lot. You know, that's just something they used for comedy in the sixties in a, in a single camera show. And the Munsters leaned on that a lot. Yeah, like I said, not necessarily funny, but charming. It had some nice, nice, nice jokes about it. Okay. The Monster Movie, it's at a 43% on Rotten Tomatoes. That is very high. Some critics that did is, give this a good review. I was a little surprised by it. Yeah. But that is the consensus when I was looking at reviews, is that either people really, 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 really hated this sh this movie, yeah. or they loved it. Yeah. So there was no threes or fours. There was only ones and fives. Yeah, okay. And I don't have any other details on like IMDb or anything. It's just too new of a movie. Yeah, the, the movie's less than a week old. Here's a one-star review. I didn't have any high hopes for this, but to stoop so low, one should have absolutely no talent whatsoever. I adored the Monsters TV show, which was funny, wise, and down-to-earth, despite its unusual premise. A bit weird, too, but with lots of heart and soul. But to sit through the Monsters, a Rob Zombie movie, you have really 
You have to really collect all your guts and patience to do it. I agree, totally. Not only does it not pay any respects to the original, it is also downright idiotic, lacks direction and humor, which is present but non-existent, and it has an overall feeling like it's supposed to be a spoof of the series, not a prequel. Or even there, the movie doesn't get the job done. Actors are horrible, and their delivery of characters has little to none of the charms of Fred Gwynn. Yvonne DiCarlo or Al Lewis, they're just playing some dumb characters in the dumbest way possible. Music is just as bad. The whole movie seems to have just been shot in front of a green screen in Rob Zombie's backyard on the budget of a bag of cookies. It, It makes you wonder. Who of hundreds of people involved this ever believed this movie is a good idea? Yeah, no, that's certainly true. I mean, it very much is. I can't really argue with too much that's in this guy's review. Yeah. You know, because he points out a lot of the things that really are problematic about the movie. So, I mean, it is what it is. I feel this just became less a talk about the monsters. It is, let's just shit on Rob Zombie episode, which I know you love, and I didn't want this to happen. This is a very disappointing episode for me to have to come out here and shit all over Rob Zombie. I think the most positive thing I could say was he loves his wife. That was the most positive thing yeah, I, know. I could come out of this whole movie. He loves his wife, and clearly he's going to the Homeboy Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah. He's loyal to his friends and his family, so that is a good thing about Rob Zombie. And he's a great uh, musician. I wish he mm. would go back to being a musician. Yeah, I don't know when was the last time he put out a record, but I haven't checked into one of those in a long time either. So, yeah. Rob Zombie's The Munsters, avoid. That's about it, guys. Sorry for any of the Rob Zombie fans who have unsubscribed from the show due to blinding hatred of us. Yeah, listen, I'm sure we're going to upset some people. Some people maybe really love his movie, um, but we, we just didn't really feel for it. Um so send us some of that hate mail if you would, would like to greedyrebootcast at gmail.com or hit us up on any of the uh, social media websites as well. Yeah, that's uh, Gritty Reboot at Instagram and at TikTok and let us know how much we suck and how much um, uh, Three from Hell is the finest movie ever made. You can let us know that and I'll let you know how wrong you are. But uh, that is Gritty Reboot for uh, this week. We got a packed October. Once we are done with this spooky movie. Spooky season. Yeah, spooky season. Once, once we're done with this episode, we're running right to go bone up on the Hellraiser series, which will also drive you insane because uh, you hate those movies too. Yeah. Um, this is like a whole, I hate all my hate yeah, movies. Yeah, not me. I love Hellraiser, so we're going to have a blast. But yeah, we're going to check out Hellraiser. I hope you guys enjoy the episode and let us know how much we suck. So uh, see you guys. Bye. Bye.